and welcome to the third of our leadership episodes on the Airmic Talks podcast brought to you by the UK's risk and insurance community. Over the next 25 minutes or so, you are going to hear a conversation between myself, Richard Kutcher, Melanie Slack, the new head for UK, Ireland, South Africa, and EMEA Wholesale at Swiss Re Corporate Solutions, and Tracy Skinner, Group Insurance Director for the BT Group, and also Airmix, current and outgoing chair of the board. The theme for this series all along this year has been insurance beyond the hard market, and we get into various angles around the topic in the discussion including how Swiss Re sees insurance evolving over the next five to ten years, how ESG is increasingly influencing renewal season and the use of captives and longer-term structured solutions. In the episode show notes, there is a link to Swiss Re's Innovating Together publication, which has a series of examples of innovative risk solutions, so please do check those out. And finally, at the very end of the discussion, once you make it that far, Melanie, Tracy and I all say we are very much looking forward to seeing each other in Brighton in person for the return of the Airmic Conference. That event, which promises to be spectacularly valuable for the myriad of education and networking opportunities, will be taking place from the 5th to the 6th of October. So for more information, visit airmitconference.com or follow the link in the episode show notes. But let's get into this discussion then. And we start by hearing how Melanie found herself in this new corporate solutions role in London. As you may tell from my accent, I'm originally from Toronto, Canada, and I started out in insurance by working for my dad. He had a small agency near Toronto. And through that, I somehow ended up becoming a life and health underwriter, um, which led me eventually to joining Swiss Re uh, exactly 20 years ago as the global chief underwriter in life and health um, underwriting. And in my journey with Swiss Re, I have worked in five countries, uh, sometimes more than once. So I have lived in the UK before and a whole range of roles uh, across four continents. So it, we, we could do a whole po- podcast on that story. So I think yeah. what I'd like to mention is the the coolest role that I think I ever had at Swiss Re was I was seconded by Swiss Re to head up a startup microinsurance company in Central America. And it was really cool because that was aligning my technical expertise, if you will, to 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 purpose really in, ter- in terms of helping micro borrowers in the region uh, mitigate the risk of NACAT's uh, exposure to their micro borrowing. So that's, that's again, another podcast. But I joined Corso four years ago and moved from Australia in May because my daughter has been studying here. She's 18. And thanks to COVID, I haven't been able to see her for 17 months. So joined the team here as the country head for the UK, Ireland and South Africa. So the Corso team is the global commercial insurance arm of Swiss Re Group, and we are global with 40 offices around the world. So uh, our mandate is to operate as a specialized risk partner for corporates, and our team focuses on offering traditional and customized insurance solutions. In addition to that, uh, at Corso, we've been writing international programs um, since 2019. So we have a network cover of over 150 countries using our own proprietary IT platform that we think is pretty sexy called Pulse. And uh, having been in the reinsurance arm of the group for many years, our DNA really is around complex risk. So we are uh, leaders in innovation. And in the Corso space, we have done a lot of, I think, over 200 innovative transactions in, in 2020 alone. 
And more recently, um, in the broader context of our changing global landscape, uh, we're moving beyond risk transfer and looking for ways to support our customers with risk insights. Um, and particular particular focus right now is helping them assess the long-term effects of climate change on their assets, assessing the need for transparency in their financial disclosure and in their global supply chains. So a lot going on. Very interesting, Melanie. So how do you and Swiss Re see insurance evolving over the next, say, five to 10 years? I understand that Swiss Re has used this market environment opportunity to have a bit of a reset. Yeah, um, absolutely. There's a lot going on. Um, I joined Corso in the commercial insurance industry just five years ago. And when I joined, it did seem to me like there's a need for an end-to-end transformation. Um, We need to digitally, culturally adapt to a changing landscape. And for many insurers, there's there are big challenges with our legacy systems, uh, unintegrated vendor systems, and and our talent uh, being able to adapt to the changing landscape. One of the advantages that I saw with Corso is because we're a relative newcomer, we we aren't as encumbered by by legacy systems and and in some cases even legacy risk. But nonetheless, when our new CEO Andreas Berger joined in 2019. Uh, we started our own transformation to um, sharpen our focus with a focus on sustainable profitability and partnering with clients on a sustainable journey. Um, so we were just kicking off that transformation towards sustainable profitability right around when the COVID pandemic kicked off, which has been in many ways for all of us um, a reset, if you will. So the the implica- implications of the pandemic, you know, are wide-reaching and well, huge, and and they've been covered under many in many ways on many other podcasts around how that's impacted business travel, hybrid working, the change in the UK high street, to name a few. But I think what's relevant um, in the topic of COVID for this conversation is how it's disrupted operations and highlighted uh, the vulnerability really of the supply chains across the globe. Um, There's all kinds of examples around that with the Suez Canal and, and such. So what I see evolving really is how the, the disruption of the supply chain have brought this topic right to the C-suite agenda. So they're shaping, reshaping worldwide. I think this will continue over time and the impact um, to companies everywhere is to try and cut their exposure to the rising geopolitical tensions. Um, and even in spite of stronger uh, national economic support, supply chains are still globally interdependent. So most of the planet has also been having an ever-increasing focus on human rights and the health of our planet. So there's a need for our supply chains to become more and more transparent. There's increasing pressure on companies to ensure they're not associated with any form of exploitation of people or other ESG-related misconduct. And regardless of those geopolitical tensions um, and the pandemic, uh, I don't think global trade is going to end. So um, in the context of what we're working on and what's evolving is we believe that international programs are going to continue to be very relevant. So it looks like the pandemic and the hardening of the market in various forms is is going to continue into the next year. And this has created a shock to the system for corporates. Uh, So another area really of focus is around digital transformation that's taking place in the insurance industry. So for us, this means we've been quite busy trying to leverage data, technology, and analytics in a way that 
we can provide better solutions for our clients. One of the things that we've been working on right here in the UK is is to launch a mid-market solution that we call Elevate that's really leveraging data to differentiate. And I think in the context of all of that, we'll just continue over the years to move beyond risk transfer um, in the context of that changing landscape. I think we need to just partner more and more with our clients um, to find additional solutions um, and services that continue to address inefficiencies in the insurance value chain. And essentially, if we look at things at a macro level, as things are changing more and more, and there are more threats to our planet and the way we live our life, we have to leverage partnerships to you know, co-create things, co-create solutions in a, in a more agile way. Tracy, I'd be interested to hear, as Manny said there, I think we're not out of this this market cycle yet but what changes or or shifts would you like to see tracy as an insurance buyer as we do hopefully move out of this market cycle you know it's quite clear to me that we aren't you know looking at a sort of boom and bust situation now which i think is quite helpful um i think it's it's absolutely clear that you know the market was heavily underpriced for the last two decades, and you know I don't I don't think any of us think that we are going to return to those those conditions. So as we sort of get used to the new normal, I think we need to go back to looking at some of the areas we were looking at prior to this market hardening in terms of actually the use of the coverage for the risks that our organisations face today. And if you overlay our insurance cover against our risk register, there are huge gaps in terms of what is uninsured. So closing some of those gaps is going to be really interesting for us and useful. I think the other thing is all around efficiency. I think we're very, we feel that we're very stuck in this sort of annual cycle, which seems to start earlier and earlier each year. And therefore, you know, it just becomes something we're doing almost as soon as we finish the last renewal. We're starting on next year's. And it just feels as if we are working in a very, both ourselves and the insurers in quite an inefficient way. And anything we can do to sort of cut down the elements of that cycle or even move out of that cycle into a longer cycle with you know, some breaks agreed, pre-agreed in the middle would be very useful. So you know, I think more and more we would see the value now, especially as most insurers are now retaining more risk or they're you know, taking more into their captives. Some kind of structured reinsurance solution on a long-term basis with agreed principles as to break would be you know, really, really helpful and would enable us to become a lot more efficient as an insurance buying unit. Yeah, I think that, that's really interesting, Tracy. We're definitely going to come back to some of those longer term programs and relationships uh, later on in, in this discussion. And Melanie, you mentioned ESG very briefly before when we were discussing kind of how Swiss Re have, have done a bit of a reset. How are Swiss Re looking to achieve its own ESG objectives in practice and you know what does it touch upon is it is it underwriting principles is it specific client solutions is it your own uh, operations how, how are you going about it well Richard this is a topic that's near and dear to my heart so apologies for the soapbox uh, it really excites me to work for Swiss Re uh, on this topic particularly because our overarching vision statement is to make the world more resilient and globally, we're in a race to net zero, which means cutting carbon emissions by 50% by 2030. 
um, to avoid a more than 2% rise in, in, in global temperatures by mid-century. And there's evidence of consequences of climate change everywhere. We've seen water so- shortages, floods here even in the UK, colossal wildfires in the US and close to my family in, in British Columbia. And it does seem that uh, I feel like there, even personally, there's a sense more and more uh, focus on the net zero target. It's gaining more traction. And there's over 100 countries, more than a fifth of the world's 2,000 largest public companies are committing to meeting net zero targets by 2050. And there's all kinds of studies out there, some even done by our Swiss Re Institute, um, estimating the impact to the global economy on climate change. In my personal opinion, we I believe we need to also address the macro system that drives our global economies and treats uh, stop treating climate change like a zero sum game. But that's a whole other that's a whole other podcast. So the question here is how can the insurance industry help with the transition to global net zero? So we need to find ways to deploy greener infrastructures and low carbon technologies and risk knowledge and transfer solutions and investments that support that. Um, and to Tracy's point, there's a lot of gaps when you when you when you map that out. So some of the areas are indeed solutions. Um, we are looking at new parametric um, solutions and and expanding our traditional covers to help clients protect against weather related property damage and disruption. New risk management and transfer solutions um, are going to be key to the economic viability and scale of of transiting to lower low carbon fuels and the move away from traditional fossil fuels, which which still power 80% of our energy consumption globally. So here at Corso, what are we doing along with other carriers? One example is, um, is, is, is our efforts to support investment in renewable energies. So last year, for example, uh, overall, we insured 5,600 wind and salt solar farms, um, which re- re- relates to saving over 22 million tons of CO2 emissions. But interestingly, talking about that risk matrix, um, this new momentum in transiting to a low carbon economy is also going to create new risks. So there's going to be stricter emission regulations, which is going to result in increased litigation risk and on and on. Uh, One interesting tidbit uh, from our uh, latest sonar study highlighted that more than 95% of the emissions of the insurance sector come from the, our risk transfer products and investments. So that's an area where we're, we are taking action. So uh, to support this transition to a low-carbon economy, we have established a thermal coal policy where we will fill, phase out the insurance of thermal coal exposure globally by 2040. And uh, we are also a founding member of the UN convened Net Zero Asset Owner Alliance, where we have committed to transitioning our investment portfolio to net zero greenhouse gas emission by 2050. So to answer your question, uh, ESG is is everything. It's underwriting principles, solutions, and and how we, we care ourselves in the world. So Tracy, what does you, the risk manager insurance buyer, think of this drive from insurers to take a stance on ESG? And, and are you already hearing it come up in, in your own renewal discussions with insurers? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, just this week, Richard, we were planning um, our DNO renewal 
presentation to the market, which we do every year in October. And ESG is topic number two after finance. So that's that's just uh, gives you sort of you know. And last year it wasn't on the agenda at all. Yeah, wow. So that just shows you the change. Yeah, and we we understand it and we really welcome it because we are doing exactly the same in terms of our supply chain. So you know we are very interested in as a buyer and making use of suppliers we are very interested in understanding where those suppliers are on their ESG journey so you know, just to share a couple of things with you about BT which really excite me I mean we have the largest fleet in the UK outside of the Royal Mail okay and we are already trying to drive no pun intended the electric you know, vision through that fleet by working very collaboratively with other large fleet providers and the manufacturers to see what they can do to tailor their needs to our fleet in terms of the electric conversion. We've already been working, you know, we were, again, we're one of the largest consumers of power in the UK with all of our data centers. And we're already moving quite very close to having everything that we is provided via power source on a renewable renewable basis which is really you know interesting but this is kind of some of the ESG agenda is really baked into us so if you look at diversity and inclusion on gender I think it was actually about 25 years ago that BT moved to a huge drive to get the gender balance um, within the organization right Um, and it was something I noticed as soon as I joined BT but what the action that we took was to work really, really hard to get mothers back to work after the birth of their first child. And this has really turned the corner for us and getting uh, females into senior management positions. So, you know, that, that for us is just business as usual. And that was, you know, 25 years ago. So we really welcome an opportunity to share with our Uh, insurance suppliers what we're doing in this space because we think we've got a very good story to tell that that last point there tracy uh regarding the kind of diversity and inclusion is really interesting because obviously when we talk about esg and i'm guilty of this as much as anyone it's so common that we all focus on the e uh of of the esg and of course there is the the societal and and governance part of that as well so i'm I'm glad you mentioned that and i just want to ask an extra question there tracy it's the idea when it comes to discussions with insurers and of course this is not the reason that bt are putting these these practices in place but is the idea that when you're having these discussions say on your dno renewals or, or other renewals and the esg question is asked if you can demonstrate these actions and these practices then that should make the renewal discussion a bit easier yeah exactly and we have the discussions obviously elsewhere within bt so our investor relations team are fronting this issue with say you know our investors and so you know it is a regular conversation so it is really easy for us to sort of you know go into the deeper dive that the insurer are looking for and yes you know we, we we really hope that it you know that it helps the conversation that it helps plot us in terms of our journey um, on on the scale that the insurers are looking at in terms of what represents success and, and what represents something else yeah I would love to just add to that because uh, I believe we're fully aligned in when you're talking Tracy about uh, ESG and DNI goals or ESG as you've pointed out, 
I think what's critical here is that we're not working together with a short-term view. This is a mid to long-term play. And so what's going to happen more and more, I think, in how we all work together is we're sharing more and more of our strategies to a deeper and broader level than maybe in the past. So it's less about what's risk X and what does it cost and much more about what's your long-term commitment, aspiration, and what are you doing on the topic of these different ESG goals? And it's through that partnership that we're somehow finding the solutions to 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 these these big hairy problems that that we are currently facing. That that's really interesting, Melanie. Tracy, obviously your experience with captives, you're an active member of the Emmet Captive Group. Do you expect that we often hear that once premium goes into a captive because of say a market cycle, it's difficult for it to come out, particularly if it's it's a successful program and, and the risk manager is comfortable with that. Do you expect captives to kind of only proceed from this position? Do you expect them to stay as relevant as they have become? I think they've kind of opened uh, risk manager's eyes, Richard, in a way uh, that they perhaps haven't ever before. I think it was the speed and force of the of the tough market that you know has created this. And I think as perhaps. Some um, risk managers will go on the journey that we've gone on in terms of you know extending our captive to cover more and more and diversifying to 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 to, to get comfortable with that. So, you know, we now have a lot of global employee benefits in our captive, and that makes you know the whole thing very very suitable. As you've said, it's very very unusual for us to put risk into a captive and to take it out again. It's just not something that that, that we look at unless for some reason we got to a point where we were under pressure, I don't know, from use of capital to kind of, you know, close the whole thing down. But I, I do feel that um, it's, it's allowed organisations to be creative, to think about the cover. Uh, I think there's even talk now about, you know, helping the green agenda for use of funds or risk management for surplus that's made, you know, in the captive. And I think that's all, again, heading and heading up the ESG agenda in a, in a very supportive way. So I think if anything, we will, you know, we've already acknowledged that, you know, the hardening of the market is not over. And therefore, I think, you know, the next year, year or two, we'll see, I think, a continual increase in the number of captives. And I think, as I said earlier, I do think we'll return to a soft, soft 20 year situation we've had. So, you know, I don't, I don't feel that there would be a push for, for those captives to put that risk back in the market anytime soon. Yeah, and just just to add to that, um, back to my example of those micro borrowers in in Haiti, what we realized is is risk transfer alone just wasn't going to build resilience. It also was helping them manage the risk, and and sometimes that was something really simple, like how to protect your seeds or plant further from the river. And so I think when you look at the captive, uh, you can't just look at it as this this vehicle to steer and manage the insurance buying process. It's to your point, Tracy, we really need to use it as a vehicle to, to be creative and, and find ways to build resilience through the vehicle. And I think the point I'd like to add is really is is in this ever-changing landscape, we don't know what our emerging risks are. And so that's that's the opportunity going forward is, okay, a company looks at the hard market as a risk that needs to be smoothed out or, or mitigated, but um, we don't even know what's, what's on, the, on the horizon. And a captive looks to be a really, uh, really useful tool if we use it creatively. 
Yeah, I'll just add one other point, Melanie. You mentioned about it can be a long-term process, obviously setting up a new captive. Um, I've certainly seen that. It's different all around the world in different jurisdictions, but there's a number of uh, quite high-profile captive members who are in the process of setting up a captive, and, and it, it definitely started last year. And, and as far as I know, they they haven't been licensed yet, and I think they're hoping to to get them licensed by, by the end of this year. Tracy? Yeah, I just wondered, Richard, I mean... Um... We do see, when we see increasing demand for captives, we do see a rise in the protected cell environment, but I don't I don't feel as if that's happened this time. Is that your experience? I think Marsha Nayon would tell you it has. It's not always as public as my experience, Tracy. So I don't think, I, I'm aware of particularly continental Europeans and American firms doing it. I'm not so sure about the UK market utilising sales, of course, Guernsey is, is obviously the kind of go-to jurisdiction to do that in. And I believe there has been particularly kind of some monoline programs, things like professional identity. I think we have seen sales being used there, but it's it's not normally as shouted about or the companies involved are not normally as, as public talking about it. Because I think it's seen more as a solution than as setting up a subsidiary, if, if that makes sense. So I, I, th- I, think, I think it is happening. Um, and and as, as I said, the brokers would, would certainly tell you it is happening, but it's a, I think it's a harder thing to measure in terms of how much it's happening. So uh, lastly, uh, Melanie, Tracy touched uh, right at the beginning of, of this episode, Tracy touched on the kind of the desire perhaps for, for longer term solutions. And I know that longer term structured solutions is an area that Swiss Re are, are very well experienced in. And insurance buyers do seem keen to explore more of these, particularly you know, on the topic of captives, as, as captives take on bigger attentions and and have a wider spread of risk, do, do you see this as an area for continued growth for for Swiss Re and any insurance market, Melanie? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, with the hard market and everything else going on, um, insurers are definitely looking for different tools and instruments to uh, to do what they can. Um, so in that sense, where we um, the the team is is a is a key part of our offering, if you will, or value proposition with 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 the the large corporates that we that we work with so whether it's old tools new tools um, it's definitely an area where we will continue to to leverage our expertise um, and absolutely to Tracy's point um, what's been really of interest lately to address the price volatility and uncertain uncertainty right now is is to take a look at multi-year and cross-class contracts um, that just smooth things out over time. So we are definitely seeing more of those and and I think more will evolve in that space in the years to come. Okay, well, Melanie and Tracy, it's been uh, fantastic to have you both on to Emmet Talks. Tracy's second time on Emmet Talks after I think debuting last year. So Melanie, welcome again to the UK and ho- hopefully maybe we'll see you down in in Brighton for the for the conference. Yes, thanks. I feel very welcome to be here today and I will indeed see you in Brighton in just a couple of weeks. Sorry, Tracy, I cut you off. Sorry, it's okay. Just say thanks, Richard, and looking forward to Brighton. Well, thank you to Melanie Slack of Swiss Re Corporate Solutions and BT and Amex Tracy Skinner for a brilliant discussion. Personally, I was particularly interested to hear both Tracy's experience and Melanie's insights on how ESG is only increasingly entering renewal discussions. And I'm sure that is an area we're going to be talking about a lot at Amex as the insurance market develops over the next few years. As mentioned, there is a link to Swiss Re resources on innovative risk solutions in the episode show notes so do please pay that a visit and we are expecting to release two more of these leadership interviews before the end of the year so keep an eye on the Emmet Talks podcast feed on your podcast app of choice over the next few months in the meantime I really do hope to see many of you in person in Brighton take care Mm -hmm.